On this podcast, we talk to thought leaders about feminine and masculine energy and how it shows up in our business, our parenting, and especially our relationships. We'll dig deep on any and all topics under the sun. Grab a coffee and buckle up. This is the She's the Owner podcast. There you go. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Kara with the She's the Owner podcast. I'm your host. This is episode 84. And we have Lise Wilcox. We just spent five minutes um, basically teaching each other how to pronounce our names. So, um, and I wish we would recorded it because it's pretty funny. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, we And I just sort of started to get into kind of where my story is and how I came to be and the masculine feminine energy. So I do want to talk and answer the question mm-hmm. when once we get going, but tell the audience who you are, what you do, um, and sort of your origin story and how you got to where you are. And then uh, we're just going to chat. So I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> let me let me Cole's notes all of this for you. So basically, I'm a professional human in real life adult. Um, it, that's not an SEO friendly search title. So I've had to like tweak it a it little bit be. to actually run an, yeah. run an online business. Um, so I am a master mindset and success coach. And really I have a passion and a focus on conscious relationships. So when you boil it really down, I am a conscious relationship expert. Mm. I was also told to never, ever introduce myself as an expert. So it's like a struggle with that too. But who told you that? Uh, I, one of the most respected uh, publicists for like a top PR crisis management firm. She was like, never, never. People, I, if you're an expert, people will already know. And I'm like, oh, that's so challenging. <laughs> interesting. I don't yeah. find it. I like that you said it. It puts me at ease when well, you say thank that. You. I'm so glad you feel at ease. I'm glad you feel at ease. And really, yeah. and that, and that is like, that's my jam because ultimately all of these great relationships that we each covet, if it's in our business, if it's in our family, our friendships, and oh my God, in our intimate partnerships, each of those is an extension from the foundation we have built on the relationship we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when I work with people, I work with them on this like very deep, intimate level talking about, not even talking about like really deep diving into emotional health, into self-love, into identity. And from there being able to figure out what are all those patterns that keep repeating in every one of those relationships. So it's like relationships are the Trojan horse into self-love and acceptance. And we go from there. That's because that's hilarious. You say that because for me, business is the Trojan horse. Yeah. There's, there's always one. There's yeah. all the Trojan <laughs> horrors. And I like, I love that. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the women I work with, most of uh, most of them don't even, they're like, the first time they hear me talk in, in any kind of environment, they're like, holy shit, you're talking about me. I didn't even know that's what that was called. Yeah. And I'm like, exactly. I know. Um, so Lisa asked a question about the feminine masculine energy and Tony Robbins, because mm-hmm. here's the thing that's really interesting. And like, you know, I, I talk about Tony on the show you know, often not because I'm a Tony coach, not because he's the only person that knows Mm -hmm. anything, but he's the person that I find for my personality, the most effective in getting Mm -hmm. me to take action. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, for, for masculine feminine energy discussions, I, when I went, I went to an event called date with destiny. Um, Mm -hmm. that was a year ago now. And that was the one that really solidified it. But I'd mm-hmm. gone to a bunch before that unleashed the powers within I've done business mastery one and two. Um, and really, it's just like awareness around this conversation, mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. that for me, I was single at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm transitioning to being separated again from my partner. Um, we did go go three times we tried. And we're lovingly pulling the white flag out. Mm-hmm. And the I I I didn't know what I didn't know, but Mm -hmm. I also had this, you know, I had a podcast already. I was talking about masculine feminine with women and in business and very light, but I didn't viscerally understand what I was saying Mm -hmm. until this event where, and it was like one exercise he has you do where you dance as, Mm -hmm. and this was a live event. So the, the feeling I think was a lot different than it was this past year. um, at that particular Yeah. Yeah. And so he does, uh, he does it eight out of 10 a live event virtually that I will for sure say, but 10 out of 10, hundred percent is you know mm-hmm. like in person. And there was this exercise where the women got up and they played three different songs and he took you from light to dark. So the light feminine to the dark feminine in three different songs. And it really was in that moment. And there's 
you know, 2,500 women and the lights were like low and red and very like clubby. Mm -hmm. And it was like, we were dancing to Cindy Lauper and then Rihanna, um, S and M. And then Mm -hmm. the song that is anchored so deeply in me, I listen to it every day called, um, you take my breath away by Sarah Brightman. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment I got into flow and literally like eyes closed. I was dancing as if I had my dream partner behind me and I was flowing in front of him but it was 2,500 men. And the energy in that room was all I needed to understand viscerally Mm -hmm. how to teach a woman, how to get into her body Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. feel that feminine energy. And in that moment, like I make jokes, but I, I just couldn't hang on to the penis anymore. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't, I had to, like, I, my body just was like, Kara, no, like you're done. That's so wonderful. It was so incredible. And I came home in this flow and you know, I thought with my partner, I thought, okay, well, I'm in flow now. Cause I always took that responsibility. Like I'm so in my masculine, I always yeah. want to increase the business. I always want to do this, this, yeah. and this. And he, he couldn't match it. So then I thought, well, it's me. Mm-hmm. So I went into my feminine thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sick. I actually came home to get the divorce. Yeah. And he came to me and he came, dropped the kids off and we had our talk and he, I was mm-hmm. telling him all about the event and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And he's like, well, I can, I wrote my relationship vision out. And he said, I can do that. And I said, what? He's like, yeah, I could be that guy. I'm like, oh. And then after about a month, it was like, okay, let's give it another try. Wow. And what I realized was I was in my feminine, but so was he still. Yeah. And in his core, he just is. He's a yeah. burly guy. Like to yeah. look at him, you wouldn't think that. But yeah. he wants to be led. He yeah. wants to be, you know, he wants to be the person like, the, like he's happy to be the, the beta. Yeah. And I'm not. And so you have two female feminine energy people now. So that's kind of where we're at. And so, but to tie that into business, like my business is running completely differently now, Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. business, my other business too, but this business Mm -hmm. in particular. So I hope that, excuse me, answers the question. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause Tony Robbins is like, I mean, he's so alpha, right? He's not though. In real life, he's actually not, which is the funniest part. He had to wow. learn that. Sage, his wife, they've been together over 20 years now. She's alpha and he was in his feminine. And that's why in the first long while, they didn't even hook up. Wow. Like, because he was, he, his mother was masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Tiny little chick mm-hmm. just knocked the shit out of him. So yeah, that he had to learn it. And now as he's old, he's 60, right? Like when they're 60, mm-hmm. they soften. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now he's more alpha for sure in that environment. But when you see him with his wife, you're like, oh, couple Aren't things. people fascinating? Like, I know just, it's, we're so fascinating. <laughs> it's just like, I get off on this so much. I'm like, oh God, I just, I just want to dive right. In. I love this. So love yeah, this. let's, let's go. Like, t- tell me, tell me, you know, what are the things that you see the most in let's see your Trojan horses relationships, but like, do you, what's your preference? Do you like coaching women? Do you like coaching couples? Do you like coaching men? What's your sort of like secret sauce there? So us doing this podcast is like, it's like this seminal moment for me where I, I can't believe I'm going to say this actually on the air (laughs) only this week. Did I decide I was ready to identify as a relationship coach? Amazing. Because, because I'm single and because single has been like, and single has been like my greatest pain point for so long post-divorce. It has always been like, who am I to call myself a relationship coach? Like, because all you want to do is talk about relationships. And when you look at conscious relationships, oh my God, the broken friendships that I've had that made me think I could never talk to people about friendship is precisely what makes me be able to talk to people about navigating adult female friendship because they're so nuanced and they're so complex. The fact that I am currently without a partner is exactly what enables me to speak to having a conscious relationship because if I wanted a relationship, I could just have one. Right. Right. And it's going through that process of like intense self-awareness of like, I had this, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. It's like, it's so beautiful in business, in family relationships are so layered. So this is the first time I've been able to like openly declare I'm a relationship coach. Amazing. I love it. I'm glad Um, you did it here. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. But typically people, uh, come to me because they have, they feel a connection with me. They hear me on a podcast or they see me on Instagram or something. And they're like, I don't even know why I need to work with you. I just know that I need to work with you. And that's been the baseline. And then they come in and 
because I don't really have a quote unquote niche, people come in and they have this very holistic experience because we are holistic individuals. Yep. You know, when we talk about those relationship patterns, it's not a relationship issue. It is a business issue and it is a family issue. It's like, it's, it's we, everything is everything. Right. And so I feel like, um, I totally did not answer your question, but I did go on a big diatribe. <laughs> this is how we roll my friends. So like, and, and I think that's so interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like when we talk about business, like mm-hmm. this is, this is the common thing, right? A woman will come to me, same thing. Like they'll come to you for one thing. Yeah. And then it's a whole other thing. And I think one, one of the parts and why I love, there's so many women in this space and there's mm-hmm. not, there's a lot of, there are a lot of snake oil sales women oh, just yeah. as much as men. Big time. And I, you know, I have a hard time with those people. I've, <clears throat> you know, the people who, um, let me just give me one second here. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of women and men who will, be, I mean, I've just literally spoken to a couple of them this week where they're like, mm-hmm. I, I hate my job. I'm going to, I, I did this three week or three month program online and now I'm a life coach mm-hmm. and I'm like, um, okay, no, so you're not. <laughs> you're not, what kind of, you know, <laughs> so you've had a fine, everything's been great. You've worked and made 200 K a year, every, like not to say that there's not value in, in that journey, but that doesn't make you, I don't think a course online makes you a life coach. And so I, what I see in the industry is there's, there's kind of like, it's down the middle, right? There's the the people that have actually gone through it. You've gone through a divorce. You've gone through really like you understand the mechanics of it. And then there's the people who just think it's trendy right now, honestly, to be a coach. Yeah. I've gone through shit too. So like, talk a little bit about the history of, of how you, you know, why you're, why you are so qualified to help mm-hmm. on this level. And maybe if you're comfortable talking a bit about the relationship breakdown and kind of how that happened. So, um, as, as a, like a preamble to that, I think that you asked me, do I, do I prefer to work with men, men or women or couples yes. or, or whatever? Right. And I typically have marketed to women because that has been, I, I think just the, the comfort zone. And I love working with men. I've had a few male clients and because my masculine energy is very naturally quite strong. It's so fun to play in both of those arenas because I am so nurturing and I understand the energy dynamics so well there's such an invitation when I work with women and then there's almost, I'm pretty playful in general, but when I work with men, there's almost an enhanced playfulness because I feel like I almost like bro up and I totally femme up at the same time. So that's kind of a cool relationship. And I would like to work with couples. I don't know what the logistics of that look like. So I'm just like ruminating on that. But what led me to all of this is, you know, again, in the coaching space, there's this notion that there's a coach for everyone. And I believe that. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And I think very functionally, sometimes when you hire an idiot for a coach, that's the lesson that you needed to do your homework better or like be more informed with the decisions that you're making, or maybe use that critical thinking that we haven't been taught to use. Or follow the intuition. Like that's a totally huge one, right. We totally. If you, do you like? Do you watch The Office? I'm like a super. Oh my god, no! But three of my four daughters do, and <laughs> it's they're an upset. It's an obsession. So there's here. this one episode of The Office where Michael and Dwight, who are very well known, are like yeah. in the car on a sales call, and the GPS tells them to go right, and immediately right is a lake. And Michael drives into the lake because the GPS is telling okay, him to go there. Yeah, and that is like my favorite example, right? It's like, yeah. okay, your intuition is telling you don't drive into the fucking lake. Like go, <laughs> like take the next right turn. Hard and so pass. I feel like that sometimes when you hire those, like, you know, sure, possibly well-intentioned, but kind of ill-informed professionals, quote unquote, you do yeah. still get the lesson that you need. But what makes my style of coaching and mentorship and healing so unique is that it's the kind of wisdom that only comes from lived, earned, and learned experience backed up by a ton of research and education and deeply grounded intuition, right? Right. Like it's, it's such a full spectrum. I'll be 40 in a couple months and I'm like, wow, now now I feel like I can do this. Right. And like really stand in the truth of, Oh my God, if you want to experience lasting change, yep. you found the right place. If you're not ready for lasting change, please go and hire one of the people who doesn't really mean what they say and doesn't really know right. what they're talking about. Yeah. You know? yeah. So for me, it started with an emotionally abusive childhood. 
-hmm. It turned into a marriage that went on for a long time. And, you know, again, functionally was totally the right marriage at the right time. And, and like invited three phenomenal children into the world. And wow, you know, your greatest pain is your greatest teacher, right? It's like divorce was necessary and was a, like a cataclysmic event in my life. It was so hard. And as I was like in the come down after divorce, I got breast cancer. And so it like, so now I'm like single self-employed in the middle of a, what was supposed to be a peaceful divorce. And I don't know, I think some people are able to do a very conscious and peaceful divorce that takes two individuals to pull that weight. And I feel like if you have those two individuals who can pull that weight, why aren't they still married? Like it's like, it has like such a degree of intention. It's like, well, maybe they just stayed married anyway. So this ridiculously hard childhood, this fucking terrible divorce and that experience around it that led right into breast cancer. And for me, it was like, it broke me and it healed me in like the best possible way. And from there, I had been wanting to write a book for so long and I hadn't felt ready. hadn't felt ready. I was only able to write this book, which became like a self-love manifesto. It's called to call myself beloved, a story of mm-hmm. hope healing and coming yep. home. It was the book that I needed all along. Right. And I was only able to write it because I came to that real moment of arrival in which I didn't need it anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It was like all of those experiences led to this pinnacle of like, oh my God, I'm not attached to any of those stories anymore. And I'm not even attached to the story of overcoming all of those stories. And that's what kind of led me to this moment. It feels like, you know, the second half of my life, it's like, oh, now I get to do this kind of healing work, not because it's like cathartic or not because I need to share this message because I'm so passionate about the level of service I can bring to the table for people who are in genuine need. Yep. That's, that's an extraordinary um, story. And it's, it's, what I wanted to touch about on the breast cancer side of it, like, I think one of the things that women really don't realize is that when we're so deeply in this hunter mode and this hustle yeah. mode, um, our bodies are going to tell us to slow down period. Like, and I think women take that so for granted. And that's one of the things I talk a lot about is that the feminine cycle and, and working around your cycle and through it with it really. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a guest on <clears throat> the other day from the agenda period and they've created an agenda to basically run your business around your cycle and it's I know right and like I was like where have you I mean I talk about it but I've never seen anything like that phenomenal every client that I that I'm going to work with in the future is getting one of these agendas because it's it's game-changing and like I'll be 45 on Sunday and I'm perimenopausal now right so like I, I can't hustle like I did when I was in my 20s and it's not age it's hormone shifting And it's so interesting to me because women like, thank God you're here and you're fine to tell us the story about, but not most, many, not most, but some Mm -hmm. are not as lucky because they don't understand this connection. Mm -hmm. And I really do believe like I did a, it's called the Dutch hormone panel. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've heard of it. And basically you pee on some paper five Mm -hmm. days or three for two days, rather at certain intervals, Mm -hmm. send it away, comes back to your practitioner and they go over the results. And all of my things are off. And if you asked me, I would say, I'm not stressed. Like I don't have a stressful life. I've got a roof over my head and I don't commute. I'm a coach. I've been working. I have a digital marketing company as well. So I've been doing that for at home. Like there's no stress. My body disagrees. And it's Corona that's caused it Uh, because my freedom value has been tested. All those things. Yeah. My cortisol is 181 out of 200. Mm -hmm. That's too high. My estrogen doesn't want to leave my body. My progesterone doesn't want to leave my body because I'm not doing the things necessary to make that process happen. So what will eventually happen is I could have gotten some type of female reproductive cancer. How many women are out there hustling their asses off and not catching it? And then boom, they get sick Mm -hmm. when really it was that connection of being in flow, being at peace, being calmer. Like, tell me a bit about, you know, do you look at your, your, cancer diagnosis as Mm. something that was a result of all the stress, all the hustling, all the, the blah, blah, blah. For me. And again, this is, this is for me specifically. And I like, sometimes I think there's a tendency to like spiritualize and bypass like 
well, you know, you get an illness, you caused it. It's like, absolutely. There is a physical response to emotional illness. Right. And I can speak very intimately for this, for my experience, but please don't take this as me being like, you caused your cancer and you are for this. Like, I'm not saying that for me, I found, I found three, I didn't find them personally. I found one lump. And then later we, we found it was three tumors in my left breast right above my heart. Now doing a little bit of digging, it's like, I can tell you who those three tumors were. And I can tell you the level of repressed anger, unfelt resentment that had accumulated, crystallized, ossified, and then literally, literally bubbled up to the surface of my left maternal breast directly above my heart. And so for me, when we, when we cut out, yeah, I have to tell you, remind me, cause it's exactly what you're talking right. about. So when we cut out, <clears throat> like we literally cut three tumors, two, three tumors out of my body. And I remember coming out of that surgery being like, and that is the end of that. Like there was still more <laughs> healing to do, but I, I honestly did. I remember waking up and being like, okay, like moving on. Right. right. And then I later went on to have a, a, a second and mega surgery in which I removed both breasts completely and went flat as a curative um, treatment, which I stand behind. So my cancer diagnosis was really, again, it like paled in comparison to divorce. That's how extreme I found the divorce wow. process to be. Um, and also in illness, you're supported. People understand when right. people like if you're having a physical illness, people totally understand. They want to bring you casseroles, right? They want to do the things. If you're having some kind of mental issue, quote unquote, like a divorce, people are like, Ooh, that's not my business. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to get involved. And it's like, I'm dying. I'm dying of emotional trauma yeah. and nobody, very, very few people can participate in that. So I think that's really what exacerbated that level of pain. But yeah, so for me, the cancer diagnosis was like, a massive invitation to go to, I thought I'd gone to the shadow places and it was like, Oh honey, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. You, thought you did, but you really did. You looked under the bed in yeah. the shadow and now we're taking you to the closet and we're going right. to, Oh God. And it's like, it's going to get very, very real. Yeah. And having had the opportunity to do that, I was very well supported by my extended family. My own medical community went above and beyond. I had really supportive friends. Like it miracles, miracles, miracles happened all over the place that it made it a very easy experience. I wrote the book during chemo. It was like things worked out for that. And, and it really did provide this phenomenal opportunity to go deep. Wow. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Like we, so one of the things that you brought up was your, your emotionally um, like abusive childhood. And yeah. I think that's so interesting because I, I mean, it's not to make it sound funny, but interesting, no. Yeah. but like same, I mean, I come from alcoholic parents who physically mm-hmm. were abusive and emotionally very abusive to themselves more than anything really at the end of the day. And I think there's, there's not enough credit. If you've done the work, you understand mm-hmm. why you need to do the work. Yeah. But many if not most don't understand they need to do the work. Like I've got people that I know in my circle who you think, do you think that's why I'm, I'm messed up because of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, honey, I do. Like Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no hack around it. There's no way to escape that you have to go through it. You have to go through it. And um, yeah, go ahead. One of my favorite analogies to use, and I say this in the book, I say it to most of my clients because it, it's, it's so indicative of the emotional experience, right? So when we're talking about emotional health, I think this is a beautiful illustration. When you stand in front of like in the before time, when we could go to MoMA and stand in front of beautiful paintings and you like stand in front of Monet's water lilies, you were like overcome by purple. It's just like, oh my God, like I am just immersed in this feeling of purple. You never stop to think to yourself, wow, what a gifted use of red and blue he mm. used to create this purple. You just experience purple. And our emotions are so similar. You know, for me, I experienced a lifetime of sadness. I just experienced sadness. And it was like, I could reach for alcohol and I could reach for sex and I could reach for shopping and I could reach for all these things. And it was like, oh shit. 
I'm still sad. Mm. I had to come to this point of awareness and realize like treating sadness wasn't working. Like there was no antidote. It was only once I got to discover that I was not, I was experiencing sadness, but really that was the culmination of anger and resentment. And those are such powerful and remarkably uncomfortable, like scary feelings to have that when you allow yourself to dissect that sadness and be like, Oh shit, I'm not sad. I'm fucking livid. And I've been livid for 30 years. I have been resentful for 30 years. And as a, as, particularly as a woman, I would argue men obviously are not taught to, to feel their emotions either to express their emotions. Right. And it is so much more acceptable for them to express rage, yep. anger. Whereas women, it's like fucking swallow that. Yep. Do not, do not be the angry woman. So all of a sudden being able to tap into that freedom of like, Ooh, this is what anger feels like. Suddenly you kind of quote unquote, treat anger, you treat resentment and the sadness goes away. Mm-hmm. You don't know that until you're being guided or led by somebody who totally knows what they're talking about to get to that. Right. And I yeah. feel like that's why so many people, they just accept like, well, this is, I was talking with a client yesterday. She's like, I can't imagine that I actually could feel anything different. It's like that, then that is exactly why we need to right. work right? Somebody who can blow up that threshold and show you not only how you could feel, but specifically, oh my God, how to get there and how this, how we make that last. Yep. It's, and it's not easy. And I, I, I mean, I was, uh, I did a clubhouse yesterday, which was really Mm -hmm. fun and um, we should definitely do one together. 100%. I Um, I just joined yesterday and I don't know anything about it, but I careful. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Okay. You could lose real time. If you, if you're not careful, (laughs) TikTok syndrome. (laughs) Oh my God. It's bad. Um, and, and, um, yeah, like we're, we're talking about, like I always say, I say to my clients, growth is pain and then it's freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's people have this idea that, um, personal development, like we're a luxury. And I absolutely think that's the furthest thing. Like when Corona happened, I said to my, my partner, I'm like, it goes coaching, rent food in that order. Yeah. Because if I don't have the support of my coach, I'm fucked. Like business will suffer. Yeah. Everything else will suffer. It's not going to be pretty. So it's, and I, and I think, you know, there's this idea too, that, um, it's just something cool that you can do or something that's a, it's, it's not, it's like, and not, um, not that it's like fully like, this isn't therapy. Although, I mean, I have my own thoughts on therapy. I think there's some good therapists, but a lot of them want to keep you in therapy. I completely just like anything else, right? Like, just like not all doctors want to keep you sick, but some Mm -hmm. of them are incentivized to Mm -hmm. keep you coming back for certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the same, like with your emotional health, because yes, there's, there's some traumatic shit. Like there's some yeah. things I won't even, you know, if somebody came to me with very, very, very serious trauma, I'd be like, listen, I'm not, I'm not your gal. But a lot of these things, like, you know, even like, it's just, it's just looking within and it's just sitting still long enough to feel the yucky shit mm-hmm. to get through it. And, you know, ultimately what I think happens, what I see happening and what's happened for me is I can reframe things very quickly now yeah. because of all the work I've done. Like, I, you know, um, I had a baby, he would have been, he would have, will have been six, would have been six, uh, this May. And I was 21 and a half weeks pregnant. And I went into full labor, had him birthed him. He's lived for about 15 minutes oh, and my milk came in like the oh, works. Man. Right. And my, I was seeing a naturopathic doctor. I'm that's sort of my, my direction for these type of things. And she said, I know that you're going to hate this, but you have to pump oh, two man. weeks. And I was like, and I'd already had three babies. Oh. And I was like, <clears throat> I'm not, I don't want to pump. And she said, oh. you have to pump or you're going to go nuts. Like she said, flat out, your hormones can't, you will do a cliff dive. Oh and you're God. grieving. So you have to pump. And so I did. And it was like, here's what's when you talk about rage. And I had sales calls on the other company after that I had to oh make. And you know that that's just how it goes. Sometimes you don't yeah. don't get time to, to grieve. But I maybe a year or two later, I got fucking mad. <sighs> I got mad. Like a lot of people would God wanted him. I'm like, fuck God the Mm. fuck why does he need my baby Mm. or 
you know, it like all the things, all the things people try to say to make you feel better. And I'm like, they, they mean well, and they nobody do. has any idea what they're doing or talking about. And no. it's like, oh, I know what you're trying to do, but please don't say it. Like say right. it to yourself, but don't say it to don't me. Don't say it to me. Yeah. And, or, you know, um, like it just, and I, and I tried to sort of, I don't know if I covered it. I just wasn't at the place to really like handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had three other kids all you know, mostly adults but still like the young I mean the two younger ones were quite a bit younger obviously but mm-hmm. it's just the the anger though right that mm-hmm. and I and I and I let that shit out and I got fucking mad like you know I look just all the all the all the reasons you get mad you know like I didn't do anything different with this pregnancy why the fuck did this happen and you know I would have had a, we would have had our first boy and like all these things and it was just but you have to go through that shadow and I still like on May 15th I'll do a post I'll cry my ass off I'll feel like shit I'll think about what he would look like at six years old yeah. I have a picture of him you know I can imagine he would look like dad and like, but that's the thing. It's not easy, but if mm-hmm. I hadn't processed it and if I don't continue to let myself process it, it's going to turn into something else eventually. One of the, thank you for sharing that experience mm-hmm. with me. I can only imagine how traumatic that was and, and, and may continue to be yeah. right. Like one of the, I said, I, I often rail on the coaching industry. Cause I'm like, can we stop for a second with the, like, live your best life? Can we mm-hmm. stop with the, like, everything gets easier and easier? Cause it fucking doesn't No, like life is hard period. Like, sorry, not sorry. Life is hard. Does it mean it's always hard? No. Does it no. mean it's not without magic and beauty? Oh my God. No, there's so much magic. There's so much beauty. There's so much simple connection, right? If you look at COVID right now. Think about the people who are in their 80s and 90s who are like sure. now at the very end of their life, yeah. like completely unable to be with their family. It's like, are you fucking what? What's this joke? Like, right. where, what's, where's the yeah. punchline here? Yeah. Life does not get any easier, but our ability to cope with the hardship of mm-hmm. life gets easier. Yep. And that I believe that is the value of coaching. And right. I would, I would also argue that's why coaching, like really good mentorship, really good coaching is essential because it's mentorship. Right. It's how to weather the storm of life. Yep. There is no like work with me and then you'll never need coaching again. You, right. like, you will, Forever. you will. Every, every, we are in a constant state of evolution, right? That's it. And, and to really tap into the the rawness that sometimes things aren't fair. Sure. I believe there is a reason. And sometimes that reason isn't fair and it right. still sucks. You know, yeah. that wound, you know, my divorce is years ago. The loss of your baby is years ago. And it's like, what if we could actually just accept that that is a wound that actually might never fully heal? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Okay. Right. We don't have to be beholden to right. the pain that past, but we also don't have to like go into self-flagellation mode of like, what else do I need to do to fix it? Cause that's right. so masculine. And also like, uh, yeah, literally to heal. It's like, yeah. well, what if you actually don't need to heal? You just learn to walk alongside it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, be- I love that you're saying that because it's, and I think there, it, the masculine woman thinks there's an end date, yes. a, an expiration date on when I can feel X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I, I, and I do have, you know, through all the work that I've, and all the, I mean, I've spent, I, I did the math. Like I spent over a hundred thousand dollars on oh, my yeah. personal development in the last yeah. four or five years, like yeah. oh, a big chunk of money, yeah. but it's, this is how I can sit and help someone who maybe lost their baby or mm-hmm. whose business is shitting the bed because they're not in alignment with it, even a slightly, but that it's, it's never, ever going to be done. Mm-hmm. Like forever. You're going to have things that are going to pop up. Yes. And it's acknowledging that. And like so many people, women in particular mm-hmm. do the, let's just suppress that. I, know. I can shake it off. I'm Gary Vaynerchuk and I can just go, go, go. And I love I Gary know. Vaynerchuk, yeah. but I swear to God, it's a boys club, Tony, mm-hmm. Gary, Les Brown, all of them. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're, they're not built the way that we are. Yeah, I know. And they don't like, not that they don't feel emotion, but we, it's like, you know, I've heard Alison Armstrong say she's, mm-hmm. she's been on my podcast. She's, it was unbelievable having her here, but she's like, she talks about our emotions, like another organ. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you don't take care of that organ, just like if you mm-hmm. don't take care of your liver, 
you're mm-hmm. fucked at some point. Yes. You know, and I think I love that it's never, um, it's never over. And I think that's yeah. one of the things we have to give permission to women in particular, mm-hmm. that it's not like a guy going to a, um, you know, high performance coach for a blip yeah. of their life, get that contract done and do the deal and then move on. Yeah. We're not, you know, I think men should be in coaching forever too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I know I'm doing like an additional coaching program this year with Layla Martin. So I'm really honing in on sex, love, intimacy, and relationships. Yep. Because I find people come to me increasingly with like, they've had sexual trauma. Am I a trauma therapist? No. And, but, but I know how to create such a sacred container of um, security, like emotional safety and security that having this extra level of being able to appreciate the context of where that comes from allows us to go deeper in healing forward. So it becomes like actionable therapy yeah. to heal forward. Right. <clears throat> and I feel like focusing, like if, if you've had any kind of trauma in the past, if you think it doesn't show up in your bed, you're wrong. Yep. We hold on to that shit at a very deep internal level, right? Emotional level, internal level. And it's like being able to accept the fact that this is a huge process for men, for women, for couples, for singles, giving that time and attention, like you give the food you eat time and attention, like you give moving your body time and attention. It's like, this is worthy of your time and attention because it, it's how you be in your right. body. It's how you be in your emotions. It's how you show up in your, in your life. And it's like, I don't know that about you, but like, that's kind of important. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's another nice segue into the <clears throat> sex and, and all that sort of arena. Like I, so I have four daughters and I talk very openly about their temple and about mm-hmm. self-pleasure and, you know, at age appropriate times in their life. Yeah. But like, you know, people often say to me, you think your kids tell you everything you're crazy. I'm like, my kids fucking tell me everything too much. Let me tell you. Sometimes I'm like, um, I don't need to know that. I'm happy that you're sharing with me, but, and I actually don't say anything, but inside I'm dying. I'm like, Oh my God, why is she so fucking comfortable to tell me the, this position and that position? Oh my God. But the, the beautiful part about that is that they're connected to their bodies in that way. And I, I actually raised them, um, two of the four, the oldest one, I didn't raise her. She came to us when she was 13. Mm-hmm. My husband didn't know he had a kid until that old. Oh, wow. And I was pregnant with what I thought was our first child. I was wow. eight months pregnant and we get a letter. I was in Winnipeg where we live in Toronto now. And we get a letter in the mail from his mom from here saying, Oh, there's this kid who's saying she's yours. And I was like, yo, what? Wow. And he's like, I told you some chick said I, that she thought the, and I was like, uh, I, and literally go, were you going down on me at the time? Because I would have remembered that conversation and I wow. have no recollection whatsoever. Wow. And, um, and so anyway, we did the DNA test and this beautiful 13 year old now was my kid. And here we wow. are 20 years later, she's like my best friend. Wow. So I didn't talk to her about this stuff, although she did mm. come to me in the beginning with major things that happened and she didn't go to her mother or her grandmother yeah. because there was that container. Even then I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so with the other two, though, I talked very openly about mm. my, their bodies and, and mm-hmm. like the 11 year old, she's developing v- much earlier than, and it's funny because that one doesn't have any milk. She doesn't even eat meat. If she eats meat, it's organic grass. So there's the no, no outside hormonal yeah, yeah, yeah. anything in this kid, but she's yeah. like 12 almost. And she's like wow. getting a rack and I'm like, dude, wow. and she's teeny. She's the cutest oh. little bean ever. And, but talking about it, like, just like our periods these things are sacred to the feminine divine yeah. and we're not openly teaching these girls about their bodies. Like yeah. I have said from day one, I want you girls like talking about masturbation. I want you girls to know your body mm-hmm. so that if some little punk ass 15 year old boy mm-hmm. comes along and says, I can rock your world. You look at him and go, I'm good at rocking my own world. Thank yeah. you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Not that it's always going to work, yeah. but it's, it's an interesting conversation because all this other stuff will happen. My first time was a brutal experience. I, mm-hmm. it was awful. Like mm-hmm. it was like a joke, mm-hmm. but it set the stage and tone for me in my adult life mm-hmm. around what I thought about sex mm-hmm. and, and my body. Um, so what are your, what do you, what are your thoughts on that sort of subject of, you know, the feminine divine and the temple and the body and sex and all that fun stuff? I think that it's such a beautiful exploration and I think it requires a deep level of safety because Mm. we have so many layers of shame 
generational yep. past lives, patriarchal, um, religious, like a lived experience. There are so many barriers to experiencing the freedom to talk about it that I think it's so important to recognize that like everybody has their own comfort level for where they're at now. It doesn't mean that's like the, the threshold that they're at doesn't mean it's always going to be the threshold, but everybody really has a threshold. But for me, one of the, like, I think most powerful, uh, contrasts or illustrations is like talking about kids and sexuality. For example, if you look at the movies that we let our kids watch or that are like deemed appropriate for kids. Like kids love superhero movies. I was like horrified to learn that my children have been watching superhero movies at another parent's house, like horrified. And they're like, mommy, like it's, we, it's not a big deal. Like we love it. And I was watching one with them and I was like the level of normalized violence mm. that they are consuming yep. by age eight minimum, like so much normalized violence is like, then we can talk about your clitoris. Yeah. You know, if you can have that subconscious experience and yeah. access to violence, we're going to say, yes, that's actually not your vagina. That's your vulva. And here's yep. what it looks like. And oh here's a hand finger. Please you got to come to my house and hang out with me. And my <laughs> they will be like, oh my God, she's you mom. Yeah. And, I say all the words. And, and you know, it's like, I am somebody who has and I was going to say has had, but no, I, I have like layers of shame with respect to sexuality and sexual expression. Like I'm, I'm a work in progress in that. And I esoterically, I am there when it comes down into the moment. I'm like, I'm not quite there. And, and that's, that's okay. It's like, I get it philosophically. I get it as a student. And then, you know, when I'm like in the moment, it's like, Ooh, that feeling is such valuable insight that you got to go deeper and you got to go a little bit. And it's all of that is okay. It's such a spectrum. It's such a process. But I think for kids in particular, for women in particular, for men, boys are not taught about sacred sexuality. Mm-mm. You know, I forget what the, the most current stat is, but basically kids see porn by 12. Like that's the distilled version. It's like, Jesus, Who's going to step in and show them what, what is not that, right? Like how do we, we have to cultivate this awareness, this, this attention that like your period is normal. Arousal is normal. Exploration is normal. Union is divine. And it's like, you have to teach that shit because otherwise it's getting taught. That's it. But I don't know about you. Like I would rather teach my kids that than, you know, like triple X.com. I'm like, I I would rather give them healthy access to what this is versus the playground version of somebody who found something on their parents' computer. They definitely right. should. Know, you know? And it's because the scary part is it's not even the playground version anymore. No, it's the um, in their hand version. They can see it. But like, and I think that's such an interest, like, like with, with my youngest, I won't say her name. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not hard to find her, but whatever. I mean, it mm-hmm. is actually hard to find her, but the youngest, um, like I've, she'll say she she's at the age where she's like you kissing and then other times she's like like one of my daughters when she yeah. was about 13 the way she identified being aroused was she has said I have to pee oh I have to oh, she yeah. was watching something oh I have to go pee yeah and we and I didn't really understand at the time I was like what is that and then she'd say it a couple more times like oh my god she's getting horny oh my god yeah. so then we'd be like that's totally cool like that's yeah. awesome and now we talk about like I talked to them about the older ones are you know all adults but the youngest one I'm like sex is awesome Mm -hmm. and any ideas that it isn't isn't healthy like there's nowhere on planet earth that sex isn't supposed to be awesome yeah period that's the end of the conversation and if you're being told that by anybody yeah you come tell me because it's not a bad, it's the best, it's the yeah. thing that drives humanity for God's yeah. sake, right? Like fear doesn't keep people away from having sex. We are like biologically, genetically programmed to be right. together. So it's like, well, you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get taken advantage of, or he's going to disrespect you, or right. there's going to be an illness. It's like, okay, yes, that is possible, but it's also okay to talk about how special it is. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's worth waiting. Yeah. And that's why it's worth distributing in like a, you know, a drop way as opposed to like a flow way. Right. Right. When I was, um, this is so funny. I just remembered this, like right in this instant when I remember OAC, like grade yep. 13, um, I didn't have to experience that cause I lived in Manitoba. But yes, okay. I do remember we were like, Hey, they have to do grade 13. <laughs> okay. So I did OAC. I did grade 13. 
And I took a fit, like an OAC phys ed class, okay. uh, which is really funny. Cause I am like not an athlete, but I got the phys ed award. Cause it oh, was cool. like all kinesiology and teaching. Nice. And I had to teach a class to me and I went to a Catholic high school for one year and I had to teach a phys ed class to a younger grade. And I was like, well, I'm not teaching them how to play tennis. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing that. So I guess I'll do like a sex ed course. I was like 18. And I remember in that moment, like I taught grade nines, you know, how to be in, I think we did the lecture was like a hundred ways to be intimate without having sex. Wow. And I so I can see it in my head, like the list of cool things to do. Like I was like a natural relationship coach. Yep. I was just saying. thinking, <laughs> was thinking. Yep. it's like way to deny it for a full <laughs> 31 years. <but> okay. <laughs> anyway, I remember at the end when I was getting feedback, the teacher pulled me aside and she was like, at least that was so well done. Like that was so beautiful. That was so high impact. I just have to mention one tiny piece of feedback, especially given that we are a Catholic school. Yeah. Forgot to Don't mention talk about ab- vibrators. Like you forgot to mention abstinence. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. And I was like, oh my God, that's all epic. right. <laughs> Sorry. I, I went to a Catholic school in Winnipeg also. So I, I feel you. <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. We have, um, uh, a, like a bet or, a I don't know what you would call it. Not a rule. Cause they can break it, but we say in it, we only implemented it after the um, middle one, but it was, if you hold off to have sex until you're 18, we'll give you $2,500. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And here's why. You know, the, it's funny because my daughters, when they were pissed at me, once they started this big argument, but you're trying to buy our virginity. And I said, or yeah, buyer virginity or yeah. sell it. And I was like, dude, if I was trying to fucking sell it, I'd be making money here. I'm giving you money. Like nice, try to nice, try to argument. I said, you don't have to do it. That's yeah. the trick here. Mm-hmm. But the reason we put that into in place is because emotionally girls cannot, I don't care how evolved you are. You can't handle it. Like you just can't not there. You're just at different levels at 18. Like you're still, I'm going to marry every, I mean, every guy I was going to marry every single boyfriend. Like I wasn't emotionally prepared for what it looked like for me. And I said, so just wait until, the, you know, at least at, at 18, I can't, I'm no longer able to tell you, you know, I can't, I mean, don't tell them they're not my babies are kids aren't ours. I know. They don't belong to us. I know. They don't, we're here to guide them. That's but they're not the, our that's fucking thing. Surprise present of parenting, right? You get it. Like the yeah. narrative of parenting is like, they will love you forever. And it's unconditional. And it's like these children, them. they're looking to them. you as a guide and that's, that's it. it. Like, you have no ownership of, they are you're the, on their you're the own bus path. driver. You're the bus driver. You're I like, know. you can get in or you like, it's choice is yours. So, so, so I, so we say, you know, like, you know, in our house, we're very jokey, jokey, like slapstick type. I'm like, you keep your pants on, you get 2,500. <laughs> so the 19 year old, this beautiful spirit, she's had a boyfriend and he was, he's older than her and very respectful of her fact that she's a virgin and was always very, is this okay? Are we, are you okay? You know, like whatever they, and because I raised her to be open and raised her to be secure in this area, she would talk to me and she's like, I'm not ready. And I said, then don't, she goes, okay. And he'll understand. And I said, of course he'll understand. He loves you. He will. And so for months and months and months, she said, like, I think I might be ready, but I'm not sure. And I just said, babe, follow your heart. Like so getting what does a tattoo. This... If you're not hundred percent ready, do not get it. Don't get it. I said, so what does this kid do on her 18th birthday? Mm-hmm. She books a trip to fucking Hawaii, her and her <laughs> boyfriend. And she's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm doing it. And we, it was like a big buildup and the whole, that dad was involved. We're all excited. Like she's losing her virginity. Oh my God. And she's like, I'm going to do it. And, you know, we'll see if maybe, and, and always of the mind that if I'm not ready in the moment, I'm not doing we'll it. Do it. Yeah. So she went, she did it. Beautiful scene, fucking ocean, Hawaii, like everything yeah. perfect. And she texts me after How was it? It was like, it hurt a bit and you know, whatever. Wow. And, um, she, but it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I said, That's some pretty next level progressive parenting. Thank you. It was scary though, because what do parents say to me? you talk to your kids about sex, you tell them to do this. And I'm like, yes. So now the little one, I don't think she'll make it to, to 18. Because mm-hmm. She's developing so much earlier, mm-hmm. but the conversation has to fucking happen. Mm-hmm. Like beyond everything else, my, my four daughters could all be mothers. Mm-hmm. I know at very young ages, I mm-hmm. was a mother at a very young age. Mm-hmm. It ain't easy. I was a mm-hmm. single mom. 
It ain't Mm -hmm. fucking easy at 20. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important, like to make it first remind them that it's a beautiful physical expression of love when it's right. It's not something to be shameful. Mm -hmm. Like my mom was sexually abused. And when I was actually, and I I would love to hear your take on this, but she was pregnant with me when she was sexually abused in a back alley of our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I often think like, I have some feeling of something, but I know it didn't happen to me. Okay. So So tell me what you think of that. I was estranged from my mother for about 30 years, which means that she she left my life and I didn't see her for 30 years until we reconnected fairly recently after like zero communication. And when I was doing my own NLP training, which is the same training that Tony Robbins has that like we were doing an exercise called a time release. And I was like traveling back along my timeline and figuring out where this profound sadness came from. And you go back to like the root cause of this sadness. And one of the questions at a subconscious level is, did this happen before, during, or after your birth? And while I am like very spiritual and very in flow, I'm also Dutch. I am a Taurus. I am like firmly rooted in reality and in practicality. Right. So there's like kind of a cool blend. And I remember thinking in that moment, like being guided through as the client, I was like, uh, it feels like it's happening in utero. And I'm like really uncomfortable with that because that doesn't, I can't over intellectualize it. Right. I can't make my way through it. So I went with it. And I remember like this profound feeling of sadness had come from when I was three months in the womb. And, you know, we identified it, we released it and off I went and didn't think about it again until my biological mother and I reconnected. Even a couple of years after that, we were sitting on a patio having appetizers and mocktails and kind of out of the blue, quote unquote, she was like, you know, it's so interesting when you were about, I was about three months pregnant with you. And I just remember feeling this intense sadness. And I fucking dropped my fork. I was like, life like this, like (gasps) we think we understand life and it's like, holy shit. So all that to say, there is zero doubt in my mind that if there was a traumatic event to, with your mom, to your mom, for your mom, you could carry it on. If she was pregnant with you at the same time, there's like a hundred percent chance it stayed with you. If the lesson didn't get learned or integrated in mm-hmm. some way, that's not a blame thing at all. It's just no, like, take it that you know, way, yeah. as a spiritual thing, if that lesson didn't get processed, then yeah, it might be yours to deal with. If that shows up for you, then that would be just something to reflect on to see if you'd be interested in going back and like, yeah, healing. I've been thinking about it, it. Just that scene. I just picture her mm-hmm. and I keep, it pops up every now and then. Yeah. And it'll, um, it could, it, it could come up like when you're in your own intimate environments or like you could be really close to climax and then something happens or you feel, oh no, I'm, I'm okay. Then. You're fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, Thank God. Know. And it's I like, I feel bad when women can't, it's tragic. Yeah. Well, and one of the questions like, you know, that's really common in the kind of coaching that we do is like, you know, how is that a problem? And it's like, okay, so if that's not a problem for you, then maybe you inherited it, but it doesn't matter. Right. right. So it's like, if it's causing emotional pain, then we investigate it. And if it's not, then it's like, okay, interesting. It happened, right. but it's not really affecting you. Oh man. This it's is wild, like eh? the best. Oh, it, it is. It's insane. Like I, I had a healing, um, by my friend who she was on the podcast as well. And she came to my house. She doesn't do in person, but she was mm-hmm. in town. And so she, she agreed to come and see me. Mm-hmm. And for as long as I can remember my biggest thing. And the reason I even went into the masculine, you know, at 10 years old, really was my mom would get drunk. She would take a bunch of like out of van and just go bananas and would attempt suicide, fake attempt suicide. Um, if, if you know, if you've ever, you know, if any of you, well, a lot of you have listened to Tony Robbins, you know, the six basic human needs and her needs were not being met. So she would find really creative, crazy ways to have her needs met significance for sure was one of them. So she would become very significant. That need would be met when she would go into her, into her other person And I remember, you know, there's, there was a moment when I was around 10 years old where I just really, I wasn't, I couldn't pinpoint when was this unsafety feeling happening. That's why women go into the masculine, you know, it's when we feel unsafe, unseen. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Because that father wound and it's like, it's, it's a mother wound. It's a father wound, like the absence of safety and security right. is so it's both right. Yep. But that overdoing it, it's that overcompensating. It's like, fuck, 
nobody else is going to make me feel safe. Here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and even when you're little, it happens, right? Like at Mm -hmm. 10 for me, that's when it started to happen. So I, I, Christina came over to do this healing and, and I didn't tell her anything. And Mm -hmm. she, and I started to, I started to explain myself Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she was like, okay, stop. We're just going to get yeah. going. Stop, stop, stop. Cause my energy started to get thick Yeah, and we were in my room and sitting on my bed, which I thought was really interesting. Like it was mm-hmm. very cozy and intimate, which at first that closeness was like a little bit, mm, I wasn't mm-hmm. totally sure. My body was like, mm, but I let it flow. And I went back to that moment as mm-hmm. a 10 year old and replayed in my mind, what was happening in the kitchen of my house in Winnipeg. And instead of, and I think, you know, for me, it came up that I was looking at her and I'm thinking, why are you doing this? Like, I'm scared out of my mind, mom. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you freaking out? And I was trying to verbalize. And in my mind, she just shut me down because she needed to meet her needs. But in the new version, when I let myself go back with this healer, she sat down and both of them sat down beside me and hugged. And I get emotional talking about it. And they hugged me and said, I don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're sorry. Like this is crazy. Right. And it was, and then I felt both of my parents there. Uh, Like mom for sure, deeply on the right dad mm, on the left. mm -mm. And I felt, I'm telling you, Lise, for the first time ever, Mm. I felt safe. Yeah. And then I can recall it now. Anytime I start to feel like I'm flailing, I just go, they're flanking me here and I'm good. But I had to, you, you had to open up to the yeah. going back even right and, and it was crazy because healers you guys don't even you just come in and we say and then all of a sudden we're on this journey there's no plan I know and you know like I know I have I have that capacity to help people too I'm just not fully tapped into it yet yeah. I'm very strong in my intuition but yeah I feel like I'm still healing from things that I'm and yeah. and that's so when I showed you my tattoo yeah so I have the four kids but there's five birds right one is Finnegan who's the, yeah. the son we lost but the maternal, when you're talking about the energy, when I was in the hospital, my friend came to do Reiki on me and she went all the way up. And then as soon as she got here, it started stabbing pains. And I go, what the fuck did you do to me, Rhonda? And she's like, that's where mother energy, that's the mother center there on the, above the heart. And that's why I have the tattoos there. And it was the crazy, it got hot and painful. And I didn't know much about Reiki in that at that level yet and so when she said that I was like oh that makes a whole lot of sense wow so thank you for that but yeah so that's healer healers are you I mean it, it does it goes back and back and back and you got to dig for it sometimes but. and then you know circling back to this Trojan horse it's like I firmly believe I have this vision very very clearly that we are all just walking our own pathway. Right. Mm. And I'm writing a second book this year, like about being alone. And it's like, you know, exploring the truth and beauty of belonging because we're terrified we're going to die alone. And COVID has brought this to the surface of like, Oh my God, but I'm by myself. And to me, that's really fascinating as somebody who has been single for so long that it's like, what the hell does this mean to be alone, to be alone, to be in solitude? Like we're totally blurring all the lines here. Right. But you're going to die alone. Like you are born alone. You die alone. That's not a bad thing. That is your path. You are a singular being in a totally connected world. And so for me, I always like to think of it as like, we're all just walking on these little pathways. And when you come into connection with somebody, it's like those pathways merge. And then you're walking on the same pathway for a little while. And then maybe paths diverge. Right. And it's like, um, it's just so true of all of these experiences. So the Trojan horse analogy, sometimes we come to healing because of our business, or sometimes Mm -hmm. we we come to healing because of a relationship thing, or, you know, like a physical wellness thing, whatever it is. It's like, this is all about taking that path home to yourself. No matter how you get there, like that's how you get there. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's more of a direct route. Right. But it's like, healing happens along the way. It's just a matter of being open to receiving that right. it comes up for you and making it your own unique experience. Well, we're, we're past the past an hour now. And so my invitation is, will you come back? 
Yep. Um, then <laughs> let's do this again because okay. that was this is too much goodness to not do another one. Okay. Um, I would l- love to have you back. Thank you. Um, so let's let's wrap up quickly by saying uh, where people can find you, and then uh, the name of your book, and mm-hmm. then when you're anticipating having the second book launched. Sure. Would be awesome. So. Uh, my website, my hub is leasewilcox.com. Everything is there. I'm on Instagram every day. I did just join Clubhouse. Technically, I'm on TikTok, but really, Instagram is like my social media of choice. I have YouTube videos, but Instagram at Lise Wilcox. My first book, which did become a bestseller, is Amazing. To Call Myself Beloved A Story of Hope, Healing, and Coming Home. Yes, you can get it on Amazon and Audible. It's me narrating it, which is pretty cool. You can also buy it on my website. Um, the second book, my manuscript is due June 1st and the intention to launch September 22nd. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for uh, coming on here and like, definitely we're booking another, uh, another (laughs) one. And I don't know what what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be good. Um, thank you so much. I hope you have an incredible day and, um, I'll catch up with you soon. You have a good one. Bye. (laughs) Take care.